one of our favorite um, commercial uh, trends or, or, or um, advertising campaigns is the insurance company that talks about, uh, that's the therapist that is trying to save homeowners from becoming like their parents. I don't know about you, but I have seen myself in a couple of those situations, specifically the guy that's in the home improvement store, and he's standing next to somebody, he's like, hey, if you want a good grout brush, you should really, and I'm like, oh, no, that's me. Or when he's in the, pa- the parking lot and he's, he's directing the car out of the parking space and things like that. But um, I've thought about uh, one of the, the uh, aspects and, and that is discouraged in this. And, and one of the people holds up a sign of the rules of the house, which says no cussing, no fussing, no back talking. And the therapist just kind of takes it and throws it in the garbage. Rules of the house, house rules. We all have them. Uh, our houses live by them. They're a little bit different from one house to another. Uh, the, uh, I like this other one that uh, I found that, man, how clean would your house be if, it's, uh, if it, uh, the rules were if you sleep on it, make it up. If you step on it, wipe it up. If you wear it, hang it up. If you drop it, pick it up. If you eat out of it, wash it. If it howls, feed it. If it rings, answer it. That's not a rule of this house. If it rings, just put it on silent. Um, Rules of the house. We look today, this morning, at Harvest's house rules. Now, this is not like some sort of bylaw meeting or setting the Constitution or something like that. But we are given in many ways in the verses that we look at based on all of the chapters leading up to this, chapters 1 through 9 in Hebrews, the house rules. What should be our house rules? Our verses amount to the house rules that result from having a saving relationship with God. And I, I don't know if you've heard this statement before. It's dangerous to have rules without relationship. Right? Uh, if sometimes we as parents or grandparents, we can kind of fall into that, just kind of enforcer of the rules without relationship, without leaning into relationship. And what I love about these first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews is what's been being established for the readers is the rules, the, 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 the relationship that they have with God through Christ, through his work. Uh, through his advocacy for them. And then we get into the rules that come with the relationship. But, but first here, as we've looked at in Hebrews 10, there's some pretty profound summary statements about that relationship that we are given with God through Christ. And, and these statements in verses 19 through 21 kind of summarize these first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews as we've been walking through it. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's been established throughout the book of Hebrews. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Referring to the curtain in the temple. But that is through his flesh. His sacrifice. His tearing of his own flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. 
So it's been established in these chapters leading up to these verses in chapter 10 that the blood of Jesus gives us, it should give us the confidence to enter into the very presence of God wherever we are. As the curtain was torn, Jesus' flesh was torn to provide us with access to God. And Jesus stands representing us before God as our great priest. This is the confidence that we can have if we have trusted Christ as our Savior. Meaning if we have recognized that though I am a sinner, though I have sinful inclinations, though I, that I, uh, I think and say and do things that, that are completely contrary to the character of God, my sins were taken by Christ himself. The penalty of my sins were paid by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And I can exchange the, the judgment of my sins for the righteousness of Christ. And I can stand before God in his righteousness and have relationship with God by receiving Christ as my Savior. That is the relationship that's established. And in light of these truths, the readers are then told, since all of these things have taken place and we've received them, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with, a, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. That day, speaking of, is the return of Christ for his church. So chapter 10, verses 22 through 25 here, they represent the application, the rules of the house, if you will, of the truths of this letter thus far. They are the house rules for how we should live out the gospel together. The main idea I want to get across to you here this morning is this. As a church, we should respond to the grace of Christ's redeeming work with obedience. And these three lettuces is what we are looking at as an application of that. Rather than saying, thank God for Jesus, and then living our lives however we want to in our sin, however our sin nature might lead us, we're to come to God with confidence in Christ. There's our first house rule here. Come to God with confidence in Christ. As I said two weeks ago, uh, drawing near is a major theme of application of this letter. The believer is to find help through drawing near to God. Anytime we are in trials, anytime we are being tempted, as we were told in Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Once again, we are challenged here to come before God fully assured in Christ. Fully assured of his acceptance of us because of Christ's righteousness that we stand in. Chapter 10 actually opens telling us 
that while the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament worshipers, while they physically drew near to the temple, while that priest physically drew near to the very altar of God within the Holy of Holies, it did not have a perfecting work for them. We read this in Hebrews 10 verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. The law was useless in that way. But we're told that we can draw near to God because, as verse 14 told us, By a single offering, he, Christ, has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Through Christ, we are perfected before God. And Christ's perfecting work enables us to live then in relationship with God. It allows us to draw near, having been perfected by Christ's righteousness. The condition that we're described here as we draw near in is with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. These are not conditions that believers still need to meet before we can draw near. This doesn't mean like, boy, I really need to talk to God about this, but first I've got to wash my heart of an evil conscience. I've got to go find my holy water to, to wash my body with. These are descriptions of the whole life cleansing, the cleansing of our whole selves that's been done in our receiving Christ as our Savior. It's describing them in terms uh, similar to the priest's ceremonial washings. And, And we're told over and over again in the book of Hebrews that the evil conscience is one that does not believe in Christ as its Savior. The conscience specifically is described as being cleansed of the evil of unbelief. You know, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, which not for people from Knoxville, uh, Tennessee only has one football team. It is not the Titans. It is the Tennessee Volunteers. And my, my younger brother, Seth, he decided he and his wife were going to go to a, a volunteers football game at UT and so they uh, ran into a scalper who was offering the tickets for a good price and they were like okay yeah so they bought the tickets there and they get to the gate and the person at the gate says "Uh, sorry sir this was for last week's game and they couldn't enter they had confidence in something that wasn't going to get them in the door now what if one of my other brothers was the head coach. You know, and he had told my brother Seth, hey, when you get to the door, don't worry, I'll be there. I'll welcome you in. And my brother's like, what? You're busy. I mean, you got things going on. Your team's warming up. What if I'm a little bit late? And he's like, no. You're my brother. I'm going to welcome you in there. It's more important. We are called brothers and sisters with Christ in the scriptures, co-heirs with him of the glory that is to be ours in Christ. 
And whenever we come to God in prayer, Christ is there to welcome us, to stand with us. The call is for us to have confidence, to pull close to the presence of God. We should be comfortable with claiming the cleansing that Christ provides us even when we are confessing our sin before God. Because those sins have been paid for on the cross. The second house rule that we're given here is that you should cling to the gospel because of Christ. Cling to the gospel because of Christ. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We've covered previously in Hebrews, saving faith is persevering faith. It is a faith that perseveres in our belief in Christ as our Savior. Our saving faith is evidenced by the fact that we aren't turning away from Christ as our Savior. The term wavering here means to lean and to switch which direction we're leaning in. Many of the Jewish readers had had believed, they they had agreed with, they, they knew that Jesus was their Messiah. But under the pressure of their family, under the pressure of the Jewish culture, the the whole society that they now found themselves outside of, they, they, they were tempted to lean back into the Old Testament law and to return to what they had left. And the readers were challenged to help everyone to totally trust in Christ without reservation. Notice our confidence is not in our ability to hold fast. What is it in? The fact of God's faithfulness. It's because He who promised is faithful. You know, scattered around our border, uh, around our shore, uh, throughout the ocean, around many nations' shores are these ocean buoys that, that float in the ocean that are, are pushed back and forth by the waves. They're they're installed to remain in place, even as they're battered by the waves. But how do they keep in place? Rather than just flowing with the currents, it's because down deep on the ocean floor, they've been anchored to, to a concrete block, or sometimes even anchored to the ocean floor itself. In the same way, We, in trusting Christ as our Savior, it's not in the strength of our faith. It's in the object, the strength of the object of our faith. Because he who promised is faithful. We are able to continue to own, to embrace our hope in Christ without being swayed from the gospel. Because the one in whom we trust is faithful to his promises. We have a a statement about the gospel in our statement of faith as a a church body. It says, we believe that God created mankind to live in relationship with him. But separation came into mankind's relationship with God through sin. We believe that it is only through trusting in God's saving work in Jesus Christ that we can be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. And as a subset 
of that statement of the gospel, we make this statement about man's sinful condition. It says, we believe that all people are sinners by nature and choice, falling short of God's standard and breaking his commandments, and therefore are under God's righteous judgment. Without Christ, that's where we all stay. One of the greatest dangers of critical theory, whether it's critical race theory or or whatever way, is it decides who is a sinner and who is not. And the way that it decides who is a sinner and who is not is not by some objective truth like God's word. It's simply by who is being oppressed and who is the oppressor. Really, in critical theory, the only sin that matters is oppression. And if you are of the class that is being oppressed, that no, then nothing you do in response to that is some, none of those things are things that you should be held accountable for because they're all because you're oppressed. It undermines the gospel itself. It redefines who is a sinner and who is not. What is sin and what is not sin? It undermines the gospel. And to embrace the LGBTQ movement is to choose to not share the gospel with those who are separated from God because, well, but your sin is special. Nobody's sin is special. Everyone's sin needs to be repented of. Everyone's sin has separated us from Christ, from God. But Christ, his person and his work can bring us to him. And then God can work on our sin. And that's what we need. The third house rule here. It is this, challenge each other to live for Christ. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't know if you pick this up by calling this our house rules. It means when we gather together in this house, when we become the church, because the church is defined as those who are called out to gather together. In this moment, we are the church. And these are the rules of the house that we should be living by. And one of those is this challenge each other to live for Christ. The NIV translates this this way. Let us consider how to spur one another on. You know, living out in Rapid City for five years before we moved here uh, ten years ago, we got familiar with hearing cowboy spurs walking through Walmart. You know, those spurs are on those boots in order to get that horse to move, to motivate it. This term that could be translated spur or stir up, I don't know how many of you relish the idea of being spurred into movement, but the term means to incite someone to do something, to, as in like inciting a riot or inciting a movement. 
And as our verses command, let's challenge each other to live for Christ, to generate spiritual fruit. We are to challenge one another to live for Christ, to generate spiritual fruit in one another. The measure of our success of a church has to do with our obedience to God. How much we are growing in loving Him and loving others. Whether they be within the body of Christ or outside of it. As Pastor Jeff explained last week, we aren't saved by good works, but we are saved for good works as God's workmanship. And sadly, some churches take this command and become unhealthy, focusing too much on good works, in my opinion. We believe that that good, healthy fruit requires a good, healthy root. Being well... uh, attached, being well-grounded in our relationship with God, why it is that we are called to follow Him, a gospel grounding in our relationship with God, a healthy root. And we want to be rooted to God's Word and the gospel of God's grace. And we want to respond to God's grace with good fruit. And in fact, the indwelling Spirit intends to grow love and good works in our lives. It's what He's at work in. And when we encourage that with one another, we're participating with him in someone else's lives. And if you aren't grieving the Holy Spirit's work in you, you should see yourself growing in love and good works as well. That's his goal. That's what he's doing. And one of our values is seeing the ministry being done by the body. Seeing the body, seeing you as individuals showing love. Bearing fruit in one another's lives. And that's a house rule when we enter here. That's what we want to be about. Individually. So let's challenge each other also to live for Christ. To consistently encouraging each other at church. I think that should be to consistently encourage each other at church. He, He gives this this description of this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So two things that are, are being communicated here are these. The opposite of what we're called to do is to stay home from church. That is the opposite. And secondly, church should be a time when you specifically seek to encourage fellow harvesters in their walk with Christ. That's part of the purpose of our gathering together. Some people like to say, well, I can meet together with other believers over coffee or in our homes. That's, that's meeting together, right? This is true, and you should certainly be doing this and, and encourage others to, in their faith in Christ in any setting. But that is not what verse 25 is talking about here. The term meet together here is episynagogue. Episynagogue. You hear a familiar term in that? Synagogue. It is referring uh, to the believer's official meeting together to worship and hear God's word preached. Now, 
As a caveat here, I understand that in the time that we're in, specifically right now, that we have to make different decisions and each person needs to work on their own decisions regarded, regarding COVID. Okay, that is not what I'm speaking about. I'm not speaking about people that feel led that in their situation, they need to avoid gatherings while we're in this season. That's not what I'm speaking to. You need to understand this, though. The readers of this, they did not have excuses like, well, I was late. I was out late the night before. We had a really busy weekend. I've got people coming over later today. Or it's the only day off that I get during the week. I know I'm preaching to the choir here because it's like maybe some people will hear this online. But um, no, there are reasons that they were tempted to neglect gathering together in that special situation of worshiping together. Their reasons were more like this. My Jewish family is disowning me until I stop identifying as a Christian. My business is being boycotted by the Jewish community because I'm a Christ follower. And I'm about to go under. So I think I need to stay home on Sundays. That's their reasoning going on in their mind. And yet they're being told, do not neglect to meet together. Kind of puts it in perspective. We'll read later in this chapter, in verses 32 through 34. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Their thoughts were, I'm afraid of getting thrown in jail again. Yet they are being told not to abandon worshiping with fellow believers at church. Ill treatment because of Christ is simply a reminder that the day of Christ, of his return, it is drawing near and that this world is not our home. Challenge each other. To live for Christ in this place as we gather together. You know, I, I built this tabletop at our home. We got a six person table, but our family is growing by marriages, you know. And so I had this ingenious idea, I think. I built a 10 person tabletop that you can put on top of our six person table. I'll, I'd be happy to share with you how I did that. But, anyways. There's sometimes when the family goes home and the boys are at work and it's just me and Kelly. And we're kind of in our habit, you know, she sits at one end of the table and I sit at the other end. And it's pretty funny in those moments. You know, it's kind of like, so how are you doing down there? But what it makes very difficult is if we have serving dishes on the table to pass the serving dishes from one side or the other. We don't really want to do like one of those bar top things of just like, pushing it across the length of the table to see if it gets there safely. 
No, we're kind of missing the people there. No one is there to pass the food back and forth. This passage is telling us that you need to be here. If you're listening to this online, I understand if it's COVID. You know, that's the reason. But you need to be here to pass the encouragement from one person to another. Like that table. There's a spot missing. And it's not going to get passed. We should give thought and effort to this purpose as well. When you're not present here, it becomes more difficult for the encouragement to spread. So we're going to return to these verses here. uh, But first we're going to finish chapter 10. But the reason why we're going to be returning here to these verses is because our focus for harvest in 2022 is on discipleship. And that is so much of the crux of these verses. So we'll be returning here. And I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through the rest of chapter 10. But we'll be returning to these verses after that to look at how does God want us to be involved in this way in each other's lives. And we'll talk more about stirring one another up toward love and good deeds. But let's return back to the basis of our relationship with God in closing as we turn our attention to communion. Like I said, it is destructive to have rules without relationship. It is destructive to just be focused on the fruit and not the root of our relationship with God. How amazing have we learned over this this letter to the Hebrews? How amazing are these statements? Since, in other words, we've accepted that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's what we remember in communion. The very blood of the Son of God was spilt for us. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Many of you know this, when Christ died on the cross, the very veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the altar of God was, the mercy seat sat, was torn from top to bottom. And it was torn because Jesus' flesh was torn to the point of death. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Man, that statement right there just, just preached three quarters of what we have seen in the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews. And you're like, tell me about it, J.D. You don't have to go back over all the ways that Jesus is a great high priest. I hope that you trust that he's there. Because he is interceding for you, advocating for you. As a result of all these, that's why we draw near. That's why we hold fast our confession without wavering. That's why we consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works because of what Jesus has done. I encourage you 
as we bow our heads to pray, to check your heart. To ask the Lord to show you, is there any area, is there any way that I am not resting fully on the righteousness of Christ? Because he bled and died on the cross so that you would. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for calling us to remember your sacrifice. Your sacrifice of your son. Lord, it's amazing that you draw our attention back over and over again to the most humble moment of the God-man's presence on this earth. The moment that the end of his bodily strength was met. That moment that the end of his blood that could be spilt and still live was met. The end of the ability for his lungs to draw in air under the weight of a crucified body, that end was met. Of all the amazing things about Jesus, about, of all the amazing things about our relationship with you, you draw us back to this moment of his broken body and his spilt blood. And it's because that is what is the basis of our relationship with you, Father. Thank you that it is not based on anything that we have done. Because from week to week, from moment to moment, Lord, we would be more or less deserving of that. But it is because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Lord God, that we can with boldness proclaim what Jesus has done to others. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.